Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. The final hearing of the January 6th panel. How former President Trump reacts as the committee formally asks the Justice Department to prosecute him. The latest from Maricopa County. A judge is deciding whether or not to dismiss Carrie Lake's lawsuit. What Lake now says about it as the lawyers make their arguments. Twitter released new files today. The focus is on the FBI and the alleged suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story. The Supreme Court orders a pause on lifting the Title 42 restrictions that were set to expire Wednesday. That's as officials across the U.S. are preparing for the expected influx of immigrants at the southern border. And hundreds of unvaccinated healthcare workers now have their jobs back on a judge's orders. The decision could change COVID vaccine policy around the country. Elon Musk's Twitter released yet another installment of the so-called Twitter files. This time, the documents focus on the FBI and the Hunter Biden laptop story. The seventh installment of the Elon Musk-endorsed Twitter files was released Monday morning. It shows that there was an organized effort by federal law enforcement agents to target social media and news companies that reported on the Hunter Biden laptop story. Author Michael Schellenberger tweeted the files, saying, In Twitter Files 7, we present evidence pointing to an organized effort by representatives of the intelligence community, aimed at senior executives at news and social media companies, to discredit leaked information about Hunter Biden before and after it was published. The installment shows screenshots of alleged message exchanges between top Twitter officials and the FBI in late 2020. Those exchanges show that the FBI was putting increasing pressure on Twitter in the lead-up to the 2020 election. According to Schellenberger, the FBI repeatedly requested information from Twitter that the company had already made clear it would not share outside of normal legal channels. The FBI had asked the firm for evidence of foreign interference, but Twitter allegedly said they hadn't found anything of note. The New York Post first reported on the Hunter Biden laptop story in October 2020. Just hours after the story broke, Twitter and Facebook moved to limit its reach. Twitter went so far as to block users from sharing or direct messaging it. Facebook and Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg in August confirmed to podcaster Joe Rogan that the FBI had approached Facebook and warned about disinformation. Is the FBI, I think, basically came to us, some, some folks on our team, and was like, hey, um, just so you know, like, you should be on high alert. There was, the, we, we thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump of, of um uh, that's similar to that, so just be vigilant. We reached out to the Department of Justice but didn't hear back before broadcast. Reporting by Arian Pazdar, NTD News. And expectations are building that Elon Musk could step down as CEO of Twitter. In a poll he posted on his own Twitter account and promised to abide by, the majority voted yes to his departure. Last month, Musk told the Delaware court that he would reduce his time at Twitter and eventually find someone else to take over as its chief. And turning to immigration, just a few hours ago, the Supreme Court temporarily blocked the Biden administration from ending the pandemic-era Title 42 immigration policy. It was set to expire this week. That's after 19 conservative states filed an emergency appeal. Now both sides have additional time to file written arguments with the court. Lawmakers from both sides of the aisle on Sunday 
pressed President Biden to take action to manage an expected wave of illegal immigrants at America's southern border, as Title 42 is set to expire on Wednesday. Texas Governor Greg Abbott on Sunday said the end of Title 42 would bring total chaos. Meanwhile, the mayor of El Paso declared a state of emergency on Saturday, citing hundreds of immigrants sleeping on the streets in cold temperatures and the thousands being apprehended every day. I really believe that today our asylum seekers are not safe as we have hundreds and hundreds on the streets, and that's not the way we want to treat people. The mayor, who's a Democrat, said the emergency declaration would give city authorities the resources and ability to shelter immigrants. The move comes as El Paso struggles to deal with tens of thousands of people crossing the border, and the mayor says more are expected to come this week. They really believe that on Wednesday our numbers go, will go from 2,500 to four, five, or maybe 6,000. And uh, when I asked them, I said, do you believe that you guys can handle it today? The answer was no. Up north in New York City, another bus arrived from the Texas border on Monday morning. New York City Mayor Eric Adams reportedly asked the federal government for support in relocating some of the immigrants currently located in the Big Apple. Title 42 was enacted by the Trump administration in 2020 due to COVID-19. It allows immigration authorities to rapidly send illegal immigrants back to Mexico and other countries. And an update on Arizona Republican gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake's lawsuit challenging the midterm election. The lawsuit was filed against Democrat Katie Hobbs, the current Arizona Secretary of State and Governor-elect, and Maricopa County officials. Lake alleges the election was botched, citing issues with equipment and signature verification, and saying the long lines to vote on Election Day disenfranchised voters. A judge is now deciding whether to dismiss the suit. Earlier today, Judge Peter Thompson heard oral arguments from lawyers on both sides. In order to establish an election, uh, or to establish, uh, to set aside an election, or to declare somebody else the winner, a contestant must establish either fraud or that the alleged misconduct or illegal votes actually affected the outcome of the election. Here, Ms. Lake does neither. What this case is about is Maricopa County officials and the Secretary of State doing things like ignoring their own detailed procedures, such as testing the ballot-on-demand printed ballots before an election, to determine whether or not those tabulators will function properly. And that is at the heart of that chaos that was created on Election Day at all of those vote centers. If the judge allows the lawsuit to proceed, the trial will take place over two days on Wednesday and Thursday. The judge can take until Christmas Day or even as long as December 27th to deliver a verdict. To watch the full arguments, you can go to ntd.com or visit our YouTube page. And Carrie Lake has vowed to take her election fight all the way to the Supreme Court if necessary. She made an appearance at the Turning Point USA America Fest yesterday in Phoenix, Arizona. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more. They messed with the wrong woman. Lake spoke at length about what she called botched and stolen elections and repeatedly emphasized the importance of what she called free and fair elections. It is the bedrock on which everything that matters to us rests. She used the stage as a call to action as she appealed to the crowd of young conservatives in attendance. 
The event's website described it as the largest celebration of our constitutional rights and freedoms. Lake discussed hot-button issues like guns, abortions, fentanyl, and the border. We will not have leaders in office that protect our rights unless we have free and fair elections and we stand up at this very moment. Between criticizing what she called the fake media, her opponent Katie Hobbs, and Maricopa County elections officials like Bill Gates, she promised to remain a thorn in their sides. I think they're all wondering what I'm going to do. I'll tell you what, I'm not just going to knock that house of cards over. We're going to burn it to the ground. In related news, Lake got a small win on Friday. A judge overseeing an Arizona electoral lawsuit ruled that she may appoint an inspector to analyze a small selection of Maricopa County ballots cast in the 2022 election. The inspection may begin on December 20th unless Lake's lawsuit is dismissed beforehand. Lake sued Democrat Katie Hobbs, the current Arizona Secretary of State and Governor-elect, and Maricopa County on December 9th. The lawsuit alleges that, quote, hundreds of thousands of illegal ballots infected the election in Maricopa County. Meanwhile, attorneys for Maricopa County, Arizona, asked a judge to toss Lake's lawsuit last week. In a motion filed on December 8th, they stated that the lawsuit is based on pure speculation about what might have happened during Election Day. They say the claims in Lake's lawsuit are, quote, insufficient for a court to reduce the vote totals in the official certification and alter the outcome of the election, and that Lake's team has not provided evidence of even a single illegal vote. The trial date is set for December 20th. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The 18-month inquiry into January 6 comes to a close. The House January 6 committee holding its final hearing urged the Justice Department to prosecute Trump. What it means and what the former president says in response. NTD's Iris Tao has more. At its final hearing on Monday, the House January 6 panel voted to send criminal referrals to the Justice Department, urging it to prosecute President Trump. We understand the magnitude of the crime against democracy that we describe in our report, but we have gone where the facts and the law lead us, and inescapably, they lead us here. The committee is recommending four charges against Trump, including inciting an insurrection, obstructing an official proceeding, conspiracy to defraud the government, and conspiracy to make a false statement. It also sums up its past interviews, making one point about the former president. He is unfit for any office. The Justice Department already has a special counsel investigating Trump, but whether it sees any evidence to charge him with crimes is up to the department itself, as the panel's referral is just a recommendation with no legal weight. But the Justice Department declined to comment on today's recommendations, and the White House, without saying if it supports any referrals, said this today about President Biden. Is he's going to consistently speak out about this, about what happened on that day, and will continue uh, to speak out about defending uh, our democracy against ongoing threats. Meanwhile, President Trump firing back at the committee's work, calling it a kangaroo court in recent postings, and on Sunday likened the investigation to what he called Russian hoax, which turned out to be the con of the century. After holding its 10th hearing today, the committee is finally wrapping up its work after 18 months. It will release a final report on Wednesday, and the committee will be disbanded after Republicans take over the House in just two weeks. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, NTD News. The former leader of the Proud Boys Group and four associates go on trial in, this week in D.C. 
Jury selection began today. Federal prosecutors accuse Enrique Terrero, Ethan Nordine, Joseph Biggs, and Zachary Rell of plotting and encouraging violence in the build-up to January 6th. They each face nine counts, including seditious conspiracy against the United States, conspiracy and the obstruction of the 2020 Electoral College certification, interfering with law enforcement, and damaging federal property. All five men have pleaded not guilty, and their attorneys have argued that some of their conduct was constitutionally protected speech. And in health news, during the pandemic, many were forced to choose between the emergency vaccine and their jobs. Now, a recent class action settlement appears to be a win for religious accommodations. NTD's Jason Perry has the story. In 2021, as COVID spread across the country, many employees were forced to make a choice, get the COVID vaccine or lose their jobs. Justice has been delivered here to the victims of North Shore's uh, discrimination. The Vice President of Legal Affairs and Chief Litigation Counsel of Liberty Council explains the class action lawsuit they brought against North Shore Hospital, a group of hospitals in the Chicago area. Uh, they imposed a, a shot mandate for the COVID-19 uh, vaccine, uh, like other hospitals did. But what they did different was to make a decision that they were not going to grant any religious exemptions to anyone uh, who had to be on site, who had to work in one of their facilities. He explained that about 500 employees applied for religious exemptions and all were denied. About 200 then got the COVID vaccine, while about 300 stood on their convictions and lost their jobs doing so. On Monday, a federal judge granted final approval for the class action settlement against North Shore Hospital. Um, a settlement um, through which they agreed, number one, to change their policies to allow uh, the people that it had terminated to come back to, to their jobs with approved religious exemptions, so what it should have done from the very beginning. And North Shore agreed to pay $10.3 million into a settlement fund for the employees who were out of work for several months. There's no doubt that this settlement got everyone's attention. Roger Ganim is the Assistant Vice President of Legal Affairs at Liberty Council. We're able to use this uh, settlement and notify other employers uh, about it uh, and through that notification obtain uh, good results and good accommodations for uh, for other individuals uh, just by uh, helping to educate other employers that this is what you're facing if you don't provide a, a reasonable accommodation. We reached out to North Shore University Health System and they said, we are pleased with the court's approval of a supportive resolution to this matter and continue to prioritize the health and safety of our patients and team members. Jason Perry, NTD News. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis spoke earlier today about education. He was at a conference called the Freedom Blueprint in Orlando, Florida. Parental rights activists and hundreds of school officials were in attendance. We also banned uh, COVID shot mandates for our universities. And I guarantee you, left to their own devices, they would have wanted to impose those mandates. So you have hundreds of universities, even to this day, around our country that are imposing booster mandates on these 18, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old kids who many of them have had COVID by now, no clinical data to support 
such a ridiculous mandate. But you know, the thing is, places like Yale and all these places, they force the undergrads to take the booster, but they don't force their own faculty to take the booster. Gee, I wonder why that's the case. And so it's being used um, as a way to control people. It's being used as a way uh, to in infringe people's freedoms, but it's not doing anything to offer a benefit. DeSantis also highlighted Florida's curriculum transparency law. It allows parents to make decisions about which materials their kids will be exposed to in school. And coming up, an economist's take on the latest report from the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia. The report says job gains this year may have been overstated by more than a million. And at the World Cup, Argentina's Lionel Messi, who previously said this would be his last time representing his country, may have had a change of heart. That and more coming up. Turning to the economy, job gains this year may have been overcounted by as much as 1.1 million, according to a new quarterly report from the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia. What could that mean for the economy, and what's driving this discrepancy? Earlier today, I spoke with the chief economist at ZipRecruiter, Julia Pollack, for her analysis. Julia Pollack, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Now, the Philadelphia Federal Reserve Bank says the Bureau of Labor Statistics second quarter job numbers could be off by one million. How can this discrepancy be explained in simple terms? So there's no major conspiracy here. It's not as some publications suggested that the government is now admitting that the numbers were false before. The issue right now is that various indicators are uh, giving us a different impression of the strength of the labor market. And partly that's probably because so much changed during the pandemic. So the assumptions underlying the data collection and, uh, and, and those estimates uh, may not be valid anymore in a post-COVID economy. And it will take time for us to figure out what's right. That is the issue. As you mentioned, some critics are actually accusing the administration of lying about the employment data. Others say that the data gap is the result of the Bureau of Labor Statistics allowing double counting. What's your take on that? No, so we have we have a household survey and an establishment survey, and then a much you know, a larger sort of quarterly uh, census of, of employment wages uh, that typically track together, but that are diverging uh, more than ever before. And uh, it's, it's just not quite clear why that is. The quarterly census of employment and wages actually sh showed higher job gains in 2021 than uh, the, the establishment survey. And in 2022, that has gone into reverse with uh, the, the QCEW, as it's called, uh, showing much smaller gains and basically flat employment growth in the second quarter during a time when the establishment survey shows more than a million jobs gained. And so that's the, the big conundrum. You know, the issue also is that this level of uncertainty about the state of the labor market is particularly problematic now because the Fed is using these decisions to determine the course of interest rates. And so if they have the wrong impression of the strength of the labor market, they could be making a very costly mistake. And that's why uncertainty right now is such a problem.
President Biden did use these figures during the midterms to tell voters that the economy was strong. How much of an effect do you think that has had on the outcome of the elections? So voters do vote on the economy. Uh, but, you know, we also know that that uh, President Donald Trump pointed to strong job numbers many, many times during his election campaign. Uh, the data are what they are. And uh, consumer sentiment, you know, household sentiment doesn't always track what's in these official uh, reports. Uh, Americans think we've been in a recession the whole year. Um, most surveys show that, that Americans are worried, that anxiety is sort of constantly increasing uh, among uh, CEOs, homeowners, home buyers, etc. Uh, so this is uh, a, a difficult time because it's a time of change uh, where we had this very unusual, uh, very rapid recovery from the pandemic. We then uh, overheated and had inflation, which was very costly for, for many, many people. And now we have seen the very fastest uh, rate hike cycle ever uh, with, with the Fed raising interest rates and, um, and financial markets betting on a recession. And so this is, this is a worrying time for many households, for business owners. Um, and, uh, and I think that will, will play a far bigger role going into the election than uh, official jobs numbers will sentiment, animal spirits. Does this report change your outlook on the economy? No, it doesn't. And I think we, we, uh, we need more data and more time to figure out what's going on. For me, the number one issue in the economy uh, that will determine the strength of the labor market is the strength of the U.S. consumer. And right now, the U.S. consumer actually looks quite good. Uh, we have now seen five months of U.S. consumers getting real wage growth because inflation is slowing more quickly than wages are, than wage growth is. And so we could see a, a pretty long period ahead of us of real wage gains at a time when debt service payments are a tiny fraction of disposable income historically uh, and when delinquencies are still very, very low. And so it seems like most consumers actually still have plenty of runway ahead of them. All right. Thank you so much, Julia Pollack, Chief Economist at ZipRecruiter. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And turning now to the nation's most populous state, California, where unemployment increased slightly this November. Despite this, employers were able to add 25,000 jobs. And TD's David Lamb reports. According to California's Employment Development Department, EDD, 4.1% of California's 19.3 million civilian labor force was unemployed in November. That's about 800,000 unemployed Californians. Although it's a slight increase from October's 4%, employers were able to add 26,800 non-farm payroll jobs. The state's been outpacing the U.S. as a whole in terms of job growth year over year. 10 of California's 11 industry sectors gained jobs in November, with leisure and hospitality showing the largest gain of 13,900 jobs. This is due to increases in recreational activities such as amusement parks and arcade. Educational and health services gained 13,400 jobs, thanks in part to hiring in the education sector and 6,300 jobs from information came from growth in the motion picture and video production industry. 
Among the state's major industries, the ones in hospitality, education and health, and professional services gained over 100,000 jobs compared to last November. There were 3,900 more farm-related jobs than a year ago. The counties with the lowest unemployment rates are San Mateo, San Francisco, and Santa Clara, each at about 2.3% based on preliminary data. The counties with the highest are Imperial County at 16.7% and Calusa at 10.2%. David Lamb, NTD News, California. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. Lionel Messi won't retire from international competition after all, following Argentina's thrilling World Cup win. The 35-year-old who scored a pair of goals in what was instantly considered the greatest World Cup finals ever has already said this is his last time playing this tournament. But immediately after the win, he had a change of heart in representing his country a few more times on the field. Messi told TYC Sports, quote, I won the Copa America and the World Cup in a short time. I love what I do, being in the international team, and I want to continue living a few more times being world champion. Messi's appearance in the finals yesterday was his 26th career World Cup game, the most in history, but it's his first time bringing home the trophy. The win marked Argentina's first championship since 1986. And in college basketball, the new AP poll came out today and the undefeated Purdue Boilermakers are still the number one ranked team in the country. However, much of the top 10 was shaken up after second ranked Virginia lost to fifth ranked Houston. While Houston moved up to the three spot, UConn, one of just five unbeatens left, jumped up to number two. Kansas, followed by Arizona, round out the top five. Meanwhile, with the loss, Virginia fell to sixth, followed by Texas, Tennessee, Alabama, and Arkansas. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, the NBA has nine games on tap, including a Bucks Pelicans matchup that could be a possible finals preview. And in hockey, the NHL has eight games scheduled for this evening, featuring the Boston Bruins, who have the best record in the league, hosting the Florida Panthers. And finally, for you NFL fans, the defending champion Los Angeles Rams play at the Green Bay Packers tonight on Monday Night Football. And that's it for sports news. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.